This is 610 News, keeping you inside the loop. Hello, my name is Bernie Sanders. And when I want to know about my brothers and sisters down south in the wonderful city of... Houston, Texas. I always listen to... 610 News. You may have heard of this thing called the Rainy Day Fund, which is a misnomer. It's really known as the Economic Stabilization Fund, but that takes a lot more breath to say, so we just call it the Rainy Day Fund instead. It's got $10.3 billion in it, and it's expected to have $11 billion in it by 2018. The thing about the Rainy Day Fund, though, is that you can't use it for a rainy day because, truth be told, the Economic Stabilization Fund is really there if programs run over what you expected at the beginning of the legislative session or at the beginning of the, the fiscal year, then you can round out the edges. So if a program costs you $10,000 more than you expected when you initially budgeted it, then you can take that $10,000 from the $10.3 billion uh, surplus in the Economic Stabilization Fund and then pay down the $10,000, which keeps us, quote unquote, economically stable. But the problem is that right now people don't need their budget to be rounded out uh, on the back end, what they need is for their house to be repaired. So people have been uh, fighting the state over this a little bit. Um, there have been some prior state withdrawals from Rainy Day Fund uh, based on legislative action, such as uh, Tropical Storm Allison in 2003, when $6.4 million a year was taken. Uh, in 2011, $3.2 billion was taken for the Great Recession. In 2013, $186 million was taken for the Bastrop wildfires. And in 2017, there was $990 million for many reasons, including $110 million for a governor's disaster relief fund. But we don't get to see any of that money. But Mayor Turner was able to get $50 million uh, out of Governor Abbott uh, through some moving, moving some funds around in the state legislature. And of course, that's not um, all, of the, uh, the, all of the money that's available necessarily. Darrell? You know, interesting you bring this up, Daniel. I think, you know, interesting. Uh, I sort of agree with Governor Abbott to a certain extent, and I'll tell you why. These TERS or tax increment reinvestment zones are set up by the city to freeze the value of property in a certain area. So let's just say the Galleria. You take this commercial building that's worth $2 million. As it raises in value, whatever it, that increment that it raises is then reinvested in that specific community. So when you look at those big chrome arcs that are being polished every now and then on Westheimer, that's where that money's coming from. The specific security that the Galleria uses or, or River Oaks uses, it's coming from their specific, they have their own pot of money that no one else gets to touch. So when you compare, you know, areas like the Galleria or River Oaks against Third Ward or Fifth Ward where there's not so much investment or reinvestment or not so much property value increase, it's really unfair. So this, out of this $10.3 billion, let me ask, this is this is state taxpayer dollars, right? So where's which uh, who's paying for the TERS exactly? We all are. So when that $2 million building increases in value, a portion of that tax increase goes directly into this TERS for that specific area. So it's... Basically saying that as property taxes increase in River Oaks, the increase, right, whatever, because they were frozen in a, at a certain time, that increase gets to be reinvested in that specific community. And it's totally unfair. How much money is there in that? 
there are hundreds. I would guess easily hundreds of million dollars when you combine because there's there are specific turds, right? You have the one that's you know in River Oaks. You have the one that's in the Galleria, and then you have the other ones. Like okay, yes, Fifth Ward has a turds, right? I guarantee you, there's not that much money in it. So there's 175 million dollars in cost of structural damage to city buildings. There are other estimates we've seen that have raised in terms of. Uh, you know, the, the amount of money it's going to take back to come back from Harvey in the city of Houston, but also, you know, across the all of the areas affected by Harvey, you know, that ranges in the billions of dollars. Right. So why why shouldn't we touch the ten point three billion dollars in the economic stabilization fund? If they're you know, for if we're going to need a lot more beyond this, naturally, the mayor and the governor covered their, their 50 million dollars, which is what the mayor wanted. And everybody got to throw their thumbs in the air and do like a photo op and stuff like that. And we got the money. Right. But um, but why not touch the the rainy day fund? Why not touch the TERS? I think this natural disaster has brought up a very interesting conversation where for years, certain communities have been able to keep their honeypots filled with gold and not spill out into other neighborhoods. It's totally unjust. It's totally unfair. And now, hands off, we need to use this money not only in your own community, but we need to change this rule from here on out. So for these TERS, uh, let's say that we exhaust the TERS, right? Let's say we dedicate them all to the to the hurricane. I got two questions for you. One, would people stop polishing the chrome arcs on the sides of the streets? And two, uh, where would you say we should turn to next for the next round of funding? I think we have a structural tax problem in the state of Texas, and it's happening nationally. You have state legislatures across the nation that cannot balance their budget when it comes to education, cannot balance their budget when it comes to health care. And I think this natural disaster is going to force a conversation here in the city of Houston, here in the state of Texas, about how structural our deficit is. It's growing. It's a structural deficit. You look at a a state like Oklahoma, which is literally, they're having a special session because the governor wants to balance this $250 million deficit with a $1.50 cigarette tax. That's absurd. And I think when we look at the TERS that exist here, it's flat out wrong that you have areas in Third Ward, Fifth Ward, Trinity Gardens, Eggers Homes that literally look like third world countries. I don't like to use that term, but they look like not so pretty parts of the world. And just down the street, you have palaces that, I mean, not to blame people for their wealth, but the way that the city takes care of their streets and their sidewalks, totally different than the way that they do in Third and Fifth Ward. So cigarettes are about to be very expensive in Oklahoma. No one's going to polish the arcs. And we have a structural tax problem that we're going to have to overcome before we can ever recover from Harvey. Is that correct? Sounds good to me. Thank you. (laughs) Alabama judge, juror, and executioner Rob Moore won the Senate Republican primary last week against Luther Strange, 55 to 45. Strange was endorsed by President Trump while Moore had the backing of Breitbart CEO Steve Bannon, which means Trump was a loser in this primary. Moore believes homosexuality should be banned in the United States. One said in reference to Native Americans and Asians that quote-unquote reds and yellows didn't get along. Believes President Obama was born in Kenya and lost his bench as a judge when he was told to remove a giant Ten Commandments sculpture from his courthouse. In golf circles, he is known as Christ Thulu. We wish you luck. I'm just glad I don't live in Alabama. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Roy Moore, I've been following Roy Moore since that Ten Commandments thing. And 
he's a monster. You're right. Like that's that's his mo. Basically, he was turned into a joke, um, and now he's back. And now he might wind up in the U.S. Senate. And he literally believes in banning homosexuality in the United States. Like we didn't have much room on the right, but he found it. He found where it was, and he found where he could stand. And I, I just, it's terrifying. Would you say he he believes in banning homosexuality? Get out. <laughs> get out of here so but we also need to talk about luther strange um he's currently serving as the junior united states senator senator from alabama clearly his policies are strong to say the least um he's a very polarizing figure to everyone what used to be everyone outside of alabama but it's starting to become a close race what it, so what are we what are we looking at there just a quick question. You said his policies are strong. Uh, would you say his policies are strange? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Abinif. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's crazy because if you would have told me three years ago that Donald Trump was the Republican nominee for president of the United States in 2016, I would have been like, wow, like, that's great. There's no way America's going to vote him in. And once again, you look at what's happened in Alabama and you kind of want to say that's good. They're going to the, the right is going to move so far to the right that the rest of America is going to turn against them completely but at this point i'm wondering where's the tipping point because i can't go that much further chris w cox of the nra held the appointment of uh strange um the npr southern political analyst debbie elliott said that strange's conservative politics are very much in the mold of jeff sessions so it looks like we have a kettle and a pot fighting over the state of Alabama. Um, is there any hope for policy change in Alabama? Or are we just looking for another 25 years of, of a strong Republican hold there? Well, hopefully if this person is so crazy, if, if more, I mean, right now is a there's a poll out that says that the difference between Moore and the Democrat, whose name escapes me right now because I don't live in Alabama, but uh, there's a, uh, a poll out that shows them, I think, with five points difference. Of course, that's between before the, you know Steve Bannon and whoever else launches a huge negative publicity campaign and they start you know scaring everybody in Alabama because change is scary and all that. Um, but I mean, that's hopefully he does go off the deep end and in the end the electorate comes around, but I'm not sure it's a really good strategy to just put in to, to allow Republicans who are terrifying to win primaries so that we can paint them as, you know, as, as the problem and then use it against people. It didn't work in the presidential election. So it's yeah. hard to say. Yeah. It, it's kind of hard to say who I'm rooting for at this point, because in, Strange is one of the 22 senators that signed a letter urging Donald Trump to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. So this is having international relations. But you're following, uh, you're following more, more. Well, more is more is a nominee now. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily good news or bad news. I know that he's, but he's uh, way out there, right? So we'll we'll see kind of where it lands. It's not a, Luther Strange is not a good guy. Right. I mean, he's backed by Trump. He's pretty much in the mold. But what's interesting about it, if there is anything, is that apparently Trump's lost control of his base because he can't get them to back his nominee in Alabama. I don't think Trump ever actually had control of anything. I think the Trump vote was a protest vote of the establishment and the Democrats put up the 
epitome of an establishment candidate, you know, to run against. I mean, it was basically PBS sit and be fit versus like WWE SmackDown. I've been saying since 2016 that President Trump was going to win by the the wrestling vote. Yeah. The wrestling vote, wrestling demographic is completely national. It exists in every single state. It is one of the most, the, it is the American masculine, get them together, yell in a crowd, good guy versus bad guy, and even loving the bad guy. And Trump has been on WWE multiple times and winning matches. Um, And the only people who win matches in wrestling are popular people. I strongly am convinced that he won because of that and because we uh, we demonize I no I should say that the left demonizes masculinity and it demonizes rough housing and it demonizes yelling in a crowd because if you ever go to a wrestling match that's all it is getting drunk and yelling at sweaty men being all sweaty and gross and it smells like a boys locker room and it's so gross but uh, if you can appeal to them they'll follow you to the ends of the earth i think the fact that he's so far away from being anything uh normal for a politician if you listen to the guy's vocabulary could you imagine if donald trump let alone he's the president could you imagine if he was like uh one of the people giving reviews for restaurants right like the soup was good really good it was wet and good i mean that's the way the dude talks but people understand that and I think the left what, is what, really... what restaurant was that? That sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was soups. It's just called soups. Like, like the left is going to have to get it together, not only at the national level, but even at the state and local levels. This whole, if, if they're planning on running the 2018 midterms as we're not Trump, they're going to get trounced like they did in 2016. Speaking of controversial figures, we have the next story on Hugh Hefner. With Miss Dee Dee Waters. Speaking of masturbating billionaires, Hugh Hefner died last week, which prompted a grand ambivalence from the world as the controversial figure was laid to rest. Now, a poll from earlier today shows that 78% of Americans thought the mogul died in 2006. Hmm. The other 22% are just sad men who masturbate too much and are already dead, of course, on the inside. In related news, Viagra stock, it dropped 23%. Okay, so it looks like uh, Hugh Hefner's passing has kind of had a... It's kind of hard to say a cultural crater, but he was one of the big movers and shakers of literature, publishing, and authors of the past 40, 40, 50 years, maybe. Um, But there on the other side, he was notoriously known as somebody who would easily use women um, who are very young, very naive. Um, there's been plenty of reports saying that he more or less acted like a pimp, forcing women to be sexual with his friends and neighbors at parties. And also there was the publication of, uh, two very young girls in Playboy magazines who were only 10 and 11 years old. One of them being Brooke Shields. Uh, does this person warrant respect? 
He's just he should be glad he's not black because if you look at Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, I could go on and on and on with other black figures. Even Yo Gotti, who has this new song up called "Rake It Up, Rake It Up," and no, we're not like sponsored by him at all, but it's a really cool song. But it, it's basically you know this you know song that would otherwise be called chauvinistic and anti-woman and sexist, and in a way it is, you know. Which is not excusable. But at the same time, Hugh Hefner is being praised. And one has to wonder, is it his skin color, his status, and his age? Yeah, he was known as the Hollywood pimp uh, during the 70s and 80s. If you ever wanted to get a party with cocaine and easy access to women, Hugh Hefner's place was the place to go. Um, Towards the end of his life... uh, Playboy stopped publishing centerfolds. There are no more centerfolds in his magazine. It's all, it's all digital now. So are we seeing the end of uh, printed pornography? That's also a question to have. So, like, first and foremost, on my end, um, I just it, it's it's for one. Um, I'm not going to say that he's the worst guy in the world. I do believe that for the two, um, the two uh, infants. Well, I can't say infants because they were, you know. 10 and 12. Um, but at the same token, for those two, that's two compared to a, a really large number. So for one, this is someone who also gave a lot of people a lot of careers. Like, it, it, it wasn't just a job. It became a career because some of these people live in really nice homes. Um, they turned it into a career from what they were doing. Uh, we do have to keep in mind that, um, that, that sex work is still work. Um, and it may not be um, it may not be applauded as much as your average career or your average job, but it is still something that people do make a decision or that they're forced into to do. Um, and it is also an addiction, but it's a really nice addiction whenever you're able to do it and pay all of your bills and have all of the things that you want. And it's not uh, that being said, there's plenty of reports and testimonies from various girls from the Playboy Mansion who were asked to live in the mansion without being told what was going to happen. Uh, the Women who were called Hugh Hefner's girlfriends uh, thought it was a title. What they didn't realize was when they moved in is that they were required to have sex with Hugh Hefner or they would be kicked out without pay and uh, without any housing immediately. And we're talking, um, I don't want to get too scandalous, but we're talking massive orgies that girls were required to be in. And it was well known that uh, the more experienced playable playboy models would take the very inexperienced ones and um force them to be more sexual and and more active simply because they knew how to get away with not having sex with hugh hafner as much so i wanted to say in response to that as a black trans woman a person who was homeless at one point a person who had to walk through the drive-thru and like a lot of people um they go through a drive-thru and place an order i walked through a drive-thru and i picked a change off the floor that was stuck to the floor from people's oil from people's uh whatever fluids were leaking from their cars simply because it was there and i had to try to do that so for me in reality if i got the opportunity to be able to live in a mansion and be able to have certain deals that were paid i had an option to either be there or not the people that we're speaking in reference to are probably people that are possibly privileged because for one they were born as cisgender folk for two they probably are white and for three they have a look or something that was an appeal that was more appealing than what it would have been for a black trans woman who was sitting on the streets that would not have been allowed to go inside of Hugh Hefner's mansion so therefore for me they had an option to be able to leave or to stay 
right? And for me, if they decide to stay, they knew that what they were doing. Um, I can't speak from that perspective, but I can speak as a black trans woman. Um, for me, being able to have a place to stay meant a lot, period. And for it to be able to be surrounding in certain things and certain luxuries, things that I would have never been able to see as a black trans woman, um, to an extent, it's like that would have been rewarding. So it, for me, it's not that I'm saying that it was the right thing, but what I'm saying is, is that to an extent, that was a decision that was still available to be made. And the decision that they chose was to go that route. For me, I was put out and put on the streets um, because of me being trans. It wasn't because I decided not to listen to my mother's rules. It was because I was trans and I went through my transition and I got put out. Many of the individuals that we may be speaking in reference to and that this could be about um, were people that made the decision that said, you know what, I don't want to listen to my mother and I want to just go and live in this mansion and have big fun. Um, for me, it was more that I wanted to be able to go to school and still have my mother to be able to support me, my family to do the same thing, and I didn't have that. So it's like, I hear what you're saying, and it's a great pushback, but for me as a black trans woman, um, I can't necessarily be like, yeah, that's right, and I'm for that, because for me, it was totally different. So what, what say you about Bill Cosby or R. Kelly? Um, even with each one of those, it's still the same situation. Like, but uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! I have to stop you right there because a lot of these women were drugged right. without; they right. had no consent. There was right. absolutely no consent going so. on. What, what I was getting ready to say is is that for me, when I say that it's the same situation, it's a situation that I can't necessarily speak on because it wouldn't be something that your average black trans woman would be put into. But coming from my perspective, um, my perspective would be that um, either way is still wrong. Um, but for one, with with um, with with Bill Cosby, I know more on that one than I do as far as R. Kelly. Um, but uh, with Bill Cosby, it was more of a situation where a person may have possibly been drugged. That's totally different. In this situation, it's saying, "Hey, there is, is a there is a culture of um, there is a lot of cult mentality going on. There, it's been." specifically said by multiple people coming out of uh the the grotto i guess or hugh mansion or whatever it's called that it's very cult-like behavior that your your food is taken away your privileges are taken away your job is taken away you're blacklisted in hollywood you don't have the ability to get out they take away your phone any connection from the outside world the behavior is constantly normalized that this is okay and to give up your body in exchange for these services and and goods are not only okay but demand it and um and like i said a lot of these girls didn't realize what they were getting into because the the job was sold to them as a job um they were not informed or told about what was going to happen and these girls were 18 19 years old because of course playboy models uh are often young you know they're they might have more rights, but like I said, for the 10 year old, the 11 year old, the photos that were, that were published were taken by these people's parents. One of the girls was only 10 years old. The mother took photos of the girls and sold them to Playboy for Hugh Hefner. Um, it caused a lawsuit and I don't want to give out the name for the models simply because I, I don't feel like it's, the photos are still out there. Um, the court decided that this was, it had artistic merit, even though the child sued the mother, um, and tried to have her arrested for child pornography. Um, uh, but the courts decided that this, this had artistic merit. So the photos are still floating around on the internet. There's clearly a big controversy, not, not controversy, but there's clearly a gray area for sex work. I believe in sex work 
workers rights, I believe that people have the right to choose what to do with their body. However, if you set up a system and you set up conditions that the only leverage a person has is to forcibly had sex on whether, and you know, it's total coercion that doesn't make it right. A person who is not saying no is not saying yes. So that is true, but is that what we know that is going on? There? There's been plenty place. of testimony showing so that. It's like for me, um, I can go for testimonies, but it's like, again, I, I've never had the privilege to be able to have that opportunity. So therefore, it's like, I, I don't know how it is that I could react to it. Like, so for me, um, I was forced into sex work. Like, yeah. I didn't have an option. It wasn't an opportunity for me to be able to go and So again, I feel like home. we're getting away from the, the core question. How do we feel... How is Hugh Hefner going to be remembered? Well, I mean, I didn't even know he was dead. Honestly, I don't think we have to go further on this section. I think you just kind of nailed it. I didn't even know he was dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan, you had one more thing to say before. Well, I was going to say that, uh, you know, you mentioned this earlier. Does this mean that print pornography is dead? I think print pornography was dead 20 years ago. And I think that Hugh Hefner failed to adjust to the market, if nothing else, because now he's bankrupt. Well, now he's dead. But he was bankrupt before he was dead and he sold his site. And then the site actually declared that they would no longer show nudity. And I remember when I saw that, I thought to myself, there were a lot of people that were applauding that, right? For, for partly for cultural value, but also there were people who were applauding it from like a business perspective. But I remember seeing it and thinking, but that's what the brand represents. Like that's what everyone knows Playboy for is naked people. So if you take away naked people from Playboy, you get like GQ, you know, or Cosmo or something. So and the other side is that he launched a lot of literary giants: Jack Kerouac, John Updike, uh, Joyce Carol Oates, uh, Joseph Heller, Margaret Atwood, Kirk Vonnegut. Kirk Vonnegut is one of my favorite authors of all times. It was it's kind of sickening to know that Hugh Hefner was the launch. Wow! On the shoulder of creepy ass giants. Like, how are we? How are we going to react to this? Um, but that being said, I've seen a lot of movies that came out in the 90s where I thought, oh, that's gross. So, <laughs> so I think as we uh, move forward, we're, we're going to find more and more heroes that we're going to be disgusted from in the future. It's like a horrible Easter egg game. You don't know what, <laughs> what shit you're going to find in the bushes. Okay, so let's move on to... <laughs> Speaking of crime, shit, uh, crime you can't make up. In the category of true crime shit you can't make up, a mysterious clown wanted for the 1990 murder of Marlene Warren has been apprehended after 27 years. Thanks to DNA evidence, Sheila Keene has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder and the death of Warren. Science and criminal justice advocates applauded the news, but nobody applauded it harder than the 42% of Americans who are fucking terrified of clowns. As a matter of neurotic American priorities, 41% of are afraid of terrorist attacks, 38% fear a family a family member dying, and 32% fear climate change. Um that mysterious clown wanted in the 1990s for Marlene Warren. Sheila Keen. We need to talk about Sheila Keen. Sheila Keen uh, walked up to a woman dressed as a clown and shot her and disappeared for 27 years. 
what was Sheila Keen doing in this time? How did she? You know, I, I don't know. They're still investigating that. But DNA evidence have has allowed her to come to like they've they've been able to track her down based on DNA evidence, which is something we never would have seen before. But up until now, it was just a mysterious, creepy, murderous clown. And the fact that they cracked the story the week that it came out seems <laughs> somehow fitting, as sad and tragic as the case itself is. But there is a real life, like creepy, murderous clown that they just got. Yeah. So we're just kind of joining the ranks of John Wayne Gacy. Uh, if anybody wants to know more about uh, John Wayne Gacy, there's an excellent podcast called Last Podcast on the Left, where they do a three parter on John Wayne Gacy. Um, however, you better have a huge tolerance for gross humor because they kind of take it there. Um, but yes, I think we can all agree clowns are terrifying. Anybody else? Uh, so one of the statistics that we reported on for this story was that 42% of Americans are fucking terrified of clowns. 41% are terrified of terrorist attacks, 38% a family, fear a family member dying, and 32% fear climate change. Did we just find a great poster boy, poster person for any sort of thing that we want people to be afraid of? Clowns? I, climate change? You know what? It's kind of hard. Nobody can picture climate change coming after you with a knife and giggling in the I dark. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think um, clowns are corporeal. <laughs> like they're just they're real. They're solid, and they have knives, and they laugh, and they're constantly laughing. It's terrifying. Um, who's afraid of a terrorist attack? Attack. I mean, if we asked that question last week, we would have been like, "Huh, eh, we're fine." But clearly now the the stakes are are constantly changing. It seems like we're in the cycle of uh, terrorist attacks, uh, domestic terrorism. Um, if I hear the phrase, he was a loner and quiet, I'm going to murder. I'm going to be responsible for the next terrorist attack because I'm, I'm very tired of that excuse. My question has become more, what is a terrorist attack? Like, what do we classify as a terrorist attack now? So the United States classifies terrorist attacks as acts of violence with a political motive. However, the, the core of a terrorist attack is to incite uh, chaos and to incite uh, panic. Um, we have used the word terrorist so much in reference to foreigners that we don't know how to reference ourselves with it anymore. We, we don't want to talk about it, but it's been happening since, uh, easily since the Oklahoma City bombings. I mean, the, and easily the Ku Klux Klan has been responsible for multiple terrorist attacks, including the burning of churches in the 1960s. Um, this isn't anything new. Um, we don't know what the motives of the shooter was, and I don't want to say his name because I, I'm sick of giving uh, terrorist names, but um, it's clear that uh, this was an act to incite chaos. Um, there was... There was no fight. There was nothing to instigate. This was just an average uh, music festival. It's just people having a good time until he showed up. I was going to say something um, because you said, should we be fearful of terrorist attacks? And I'm just going to say that we shouldn't be fearful because there's always there's always an instance where something can happen. You know, like with the, the theater, you know, shootings and stuff like that, like 
there's always an instance for somebody to take a gun somewhere that's not protected and be able to go in and shoot a bunch of people. That 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 situation is always present. So are we considering mass shootings uh, like this? Are we considering them almost like a force of nature? The way we discuss mass shootings, it seems like we're discussing them in the same vein that we discuss hurricanes and floods. Um, as something inevitable rather than something man-made. Right, like something we can't control, but it is it is something that is copied. And I believe that it's it's something that once somebody sees that it can be done, then it then it is done more frequently. Like like with the school shootings, like they begin to increase. I don't know the exact number of, of years um, that they increase, but since like like they've been like like it's true that it well it is true that school shootings have increased but what's increased is the the outsider shootings of schools there rarely are students shooting up a school it's mostly outside people coming in even with gang violence it tends to be people who have already been kicked out of school uh coming back um yeah, but clowns are fucking terrifying so i think we can all agree with that <laughs> agreed and uh Climate change, is that a great name for it? Is uh, It was conceived by a uh, conservative spin doctor, but is it a name to, to stick with? Because I've been, I've been hearing this term, Eddie Pepitone the, was the comedian I first heard it from, climate disintegration. So who is it? The, the spin doctor was Carl Luntz. Was he the one who came up with climate change? It's like, sounds almost like uh, that, 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 you know, early onset in the Houston heat between like 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. when it goes from 70 degrees to 105 degrees. <laughs> we had climate change this morning. Um, I mean, climate disintegration, that's interesting. Definitely there needs to be a reframing. Do you know the best the best video I ever saw on reframing the climate issue actually was from a conservative woman because she was she is Tea Party, but what she but she believes that we have a major environmental crisis coming so she's on the right side of that issue and so what she said is that people have been brainwashed by these terms for so long that if you want to win them over you have to talk about innovation and sustainability and renewables and energy independence and all these things and that that you know infiltrates it penetrates their mind their psychology a little bit more strongly that as soon as you go to like climate discussions the al gore climate discussions yeah they turn it down they turn it off and they get out of the room but if you can talk to them about innovation and energy dependence they actually can buy onto that because a lot of people who um like have pseudoscientific beliefs about the climate still do think we're going to run out of oil so you might not be able to win them over on both but at the end of the day if you can get to a more sustainable policy that's kind of the whole point right It'd be nice to get new infrastructure in Pasadena that doesn't have 60-foot flames coming out of it all the time. Sing it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on to our next subject. Now, former Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price resigned last week after the public learned that he had spent more than $1 million taxpayer dollars on private air travel. Price has agreed to repay the public... $51,000 to cover his own seat throughout the course of those rentals, which is a bit like expensing a limo rental for your friends, their spouses, and their pets, filling it with their luggage and piles of government-issued cocaine, then only paying for the backright passenger window seat. Price's posse would normally be upset, but it turns out he's actually pretty stingy with the cocaine. Spending a lot of money. He is, like... 
he has agreed to repay the public the $51,000 to cover his own seat, as we uh, just discussed. Um, but are we are we going to find more? Or is this just something to brush everything under the rug? Just $51,000 sounds like a pittance when you spend more than half, uh, more than a million dollars worth of taxpayer money. It's like tossing somebody a nickel after you robbed a hundred dollars from them. You wanted to be on that flight though, huh? Yeah. I would like a mountain of cocaine. I don't want to take any of it, <laughs> but I like the idea that I'm on the same plane as a Senator and cocaine. Was there cocaine? There was no actual <laughs> cocaine on the plane. That we know of. That we know, that we know of. Allegedly, there was a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> Some people are saying cocaine is everywhere. It's in your walls. It's in your trees. Uh, so <laughs> you know what's sad? I just had this whole vision of like having a cabin that was like up in the mountains and like just going to my back door and just like swinging it open and there's like this mountain of cocaine. <laughs> And, and Tom Price just doing snow angels in it, just, just sprawling out. Oh, poor guy. He's, he's, he's Hopefully the show picks up and one day there, somebody's going to ask him about this. How much cocaine was on that plane, Tom Price? Um, but no, that's that's uh, this, these are not cocaine issues. This is the issue of spending $1 million of, of taxpayer money on private air travel. Can we talk about what the president is spending uh, going to like traveling as much as he has in the first year. I mean, it, it's it's a joke. It costs millions of dollars to move the president from one place to another. I mean, so I've heard that for private living, basically food uh, luxuries, the president himself is required to pay for those services. How much is of our own taxpayer money is being spent on Trump versus how much he's spending on himself? Because he's billed for these services. Right. I mean, when you talk about services, when you talk about what he's having for dinner, what he and his family are having for dinner, of course, technically he's paying for that, right? But when you look at damn near every weekend, he's going to one of his golf resorts. Every weekend, you're moving Air Force One. It's not like you just going and hopping on a hobby flight to Dallas. Like, no, there's a huge infrastructure that moves wherever he goes. And the amount of like times that he's moving this huge thing around constantly, it's unreal. When you look at the number of people who he's given Secret Service uh, like coverage, right? Like his, uh, you know, like what's her name? Kellyanne Conway, you know, is getting like 24 hour. I mean, it's un- it's unprecedented, the number. And then when you look at his kids, okay, you're the first children. You're supposed to get, uh, you're supposed to get, uh, what do you call it? Secret service. But they're going on business trips, right? Because the son of the president, once again, he can't take a United Airlines flight, to you know to florida it's it's different and it's it's ridiculous okay so according to politifact um no president uh, they're looking into the quote no president in history has imposed a larger personal lifestyle cost on the taxpayer than donald trump uh but according to politifact this is mostly false that he is paying quite a bit for his services however it's looking like it may be true in the next year or so that he may have already reached the budget we probably already have so let's not lie but in comparison with previous presidents he still has not reached the the look at the cost look it up secret service a couple of weeks ago said they ran out of money that the cover that they were stretched too thin and that they had to go back to congress 
in order to get more money because of the burden that he's put on them. You think uh, they would be saving a lot of money considering how many of them have quit? (laughs) (laughs) Shade! (laughs) Well, yeah, this this is a recurring trend, right? Not only for Trump, but for everybody who's around him, right? Is that he pits them against one another. They all are, are opaque, right? And like keeping money in their back pocket or, you know, there, there's always something shady about every single one of them. They quit at a higher clip than anybody else. Uh, we don't know what their exact business dealings are from tip top to bottom. Uh, we don't know what the president's financial disclosures are because he won't make them. We don't know what the financial situation of everyone else in the cabinet is. Betsy DeVos is this billionaire that gave a lot of money to the campaign and wound up the Secretary of Education, even though people on both sides of the aisle basically agree that she destroyed Michigan's education system. So, I mean, it's pretty much par for the course. I had to throw in a golf joke. Ha, 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 ha. I didn't know that that was there. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. So I'm taking a look at the uh, CNN.com. Um, the Secret Service cannot pay hundreds of agents to protect Donald Trump and his large family, that there's more than a thousand agents secret service agents and to become a secret service agent the vetting process is so long and so exclusive we're talking about the the highest members of the fbi the cia the military um the best the best people the best people (laughs) these these guys are good i gotta tell you these guys are so good Um, (laughs) good people Um, but yeah, that they're, since the family is so large and they're, they're so mogul, they're constantly moving back and forth that it's, um, you're right. It is, it's looking pretty strong. Um, I don't, I don't think he's, according to PolitiFact, it just doesn't look like that it's the most expensive president that the Secret Service has ever had to deal with. But of course, we're only 10 months into the presidency, so that may very well change within the next six months. <laughs> Scary stuff. I might be in the minority on this, but I kind of see stories like about accounting. Um, they're kind of like red herrings because this uh, this sort of spending without accountability for your personal travel if you're a member of public office. like They're great news stories because we love to talk about money, but... No one, we're essentially powerless to, you know, stop this. Basically, the issue that this is a, this indie, or whatever word I'm trying to use, the, <laughs> I think the lesson is that there's going to be opportunities for corruption, spending money on yourself when it's not necessary, blah, 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 for anyone who's in any, uh, has any form of power and i think we just need good people in those positions of power so that that being you know, said he mm-hmm. uh the mayor begged um the mayor did beg trump not to visit after hurricane harvey that the that their resources was much too thin that the they didn't have time to host him walking around pretending to give a shit But, of course, he did come down and, of course, the mayor was forced to walk around pretending he gave a shit uh, with Trump. Um, That that does put a strain on every town he's in. Is it appropriate for a any president to visit a um, destruction, like an area of massive destruction, considering how many resources it eats up just to get that person there? 
I think at the end of the day, the president has to do it. He has to come in. He has to hug the, you know, shake hands and kiss babies. He has to do the photo op. If he does not, the the adverse of that is horrible. He gets slaughtered. Kanye West goes on MTV and says he doesn't care about black people. So I think on one hand, you do have that. Secondly, Trump doesn't give a damn what people think or say, right? Like, if anything, the mayor asking him not to come, it's going to make him want to come even more. Come even more. Get that? Um, so, yeah. That, <laughs> I can do it, too. But no, but I did want to go back to what you said, Abhinav. You said we've got to get the right people in place. I totally disagree with that. Um, I totally disagree with giving the power away, right? Like we can't just get butts in seats because that's how people have been getting over on us over and over again. I think we put the best people there, of course, but we have to watch them like a hawk. But like you said, he doesn't give a shit, so... This story about him spending a bunch of money, I guess it was Tom Price spending a bunch of money, but he's also spending a shit ton of money. It's its nothing. We've been talking about it for, what, 10 minutes now. This is probably happening in newsrooms across the country. It's its nothing to me. And I'm in the minority for, for this position. And I hate you all. And I'm out of here. <laughs> So, uh, in response to the uh, mass shooting that happened in Las Vegas, uh, in terms of inappropriate behavior, Mariah Carey has nailed it. Um, She began uh, by showing up, lounging on a chair, inexplicably next to a Christmas tree in a public statement saying, uh, and I quote, oh, it's sad, end quote. Did we expect anything more? From where? Ah. Like, I mean, like, the fact of her doing, doing that, I'm sitting there saying to myself, so was she at a high note? Like, what she was at? Was, did she sing it? Did she say it? Was it just, you know? It does seem like a very strange thing to do to contact Mariah Carey about a violent event in Vegas. The, apparently, the reason why she was contacted is because she had a running show there for a while. So she was connected oh, she loosely. She was their token American. Loosely. Yeah. yeah. Token American. She was interviewed by Good Morning. Good Morning Britain and apparent viewer response has been absolutely terrible. Basically she's lounging on a couch. She looks mildly intoxicated, which is kind of on par. Her lately her musical appearance is her literally being sh- lifted and moved around like a human prop while she sort of sings, mostly lip singing. Um but this looks like a serious spiral for Mariah Carey. And uh why the Christmas tree? Cause all I want for Christmas. You think is she'd you. be burned out on that song? I'm just well, saying. Well, Mariah, is this anything more than she ever does? You know what I'm saying? This is her normal. This Mariah lives in her own bubble, her own world. You know what I'm saying? She she's created and she rarely like you know, comments on things that, that doesn't have to do with her. You know, so it's you know, this is her normal. That's that that it, that response is normal for her. That's so was it an okay response? Are you saying that that was okay? I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that she that that's what we expect from. Can we only blame ourselves for this because we're the ones? Well, not us specifically, but the media is the ones who asked her for that opinion in the first place. Yeah, the, I think that the really the real tragedy beyond the the tragedy itself of people getting shot and killed when they're just trying to enjoy some music is the fact that people who are much more powerful than Mariah Carey have done absolutely jack shit to 
prevent anything like what happened in Las Vegas from happening. So Howard Kurtz came out and tweeted today, you know, for all of these people who are saying that this tragedy needs to be dealt with and that we need to be putting new legislation forward, can we just take just a day to mourn? Howard, it's been almost five years since Newtown, okay? We've, we, the Orlando shooting was a year ago. We've had more than a day, my friend. We've had days and days and days and days, and we never do anything. And every time something happens, somebody says, can we just wait a little while before politicizing this tragedy, you opportunists? And then we all forget about it because it's a diversion campaign, and then more people get shot. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's Mariah Carey. You know, I, I tend to agree. I don't expect it. I don't expect anything from her either. All she wants for Christmas is you. She's not going to say anything about guns. You know, she's not going to solve the problem. We can't we can't rely on Senator Carey to come out with a position on this. that's going to solve the issue. It does look like she was blindsided by the question. I just looked into it a bit more. Apparently, the reason she had a Christmas tree next to her is because she just liked it. Um, she was promoting a Christmas oh, tour going on. But I kind of was hope. I'll be honest. There was a point in my life that I hope for a world where Mariah Carey just demands Christmas trees to be around her because she likes the smell. I, I don't know what it is, but I... She I should know better, though, because it's October. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas comes <laughs> earlier every year. It drives me crazy. That's the real tragedy of this. I'm sorry. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Some rough chuckles in this room today. Um, You're going to edit really carefully. <laughs> With a scalpel. <laughs> um, it seems like uh, I, th- I think everybody else has been completely blindsided by this event. Um, sadly, I'm not surprised. But uh, until let us- legislative changes are made and we acknowledge that the NRA is far too powerful for their own good, we need to um, stop treating these things like uh, a tragedy and like a a force of nature and start acknowledging that this is a man-made problem and there's only going to be man-made solutions to this. There's never going to be a moment where violent people who are angry and looking to have their name written down in history are ever going to pick up a gun and put it down because they think, you know what, I think I'm just going to run for office. It seems like an easier way of doing it. It's uh, sad, and it's disgusting, and it's tragic, but more than that, it's man-made. Um, I'm kind of a downer today, but it's today, this really fucked me up today, guys. The shooting just really fucked me up. Um, anybody else have something to say before we wrap this up? <sighs> I have no clue. Like it, it's so much that you want to say, but it's like it's a lot that you don't want to say because you, you, it's not really much that you can say. You know, it's like for me, a part of me um, wants to say, so like, what's next? How do we do this? Something to stop this from happening again? And it's like, there's only so much that you can do to try to stop it and keep it from happening again. And it's like even when we start to change legislation and legislature. Um, it's going to be more beneficial towards us and our safety can be able to be more impacted. But then it's more like, um, will it be, you know, like uh, up until what extent, like what will we have to do? We currently have a president who can say whatever it is that comes to mind. There are other people that are holding, that are sitting in very high seats that are able to say whatever it is that comes to mind. And it's like people are being murdered at, at outrageous numbers. 
And for something like this to happen, this was a massacre, and this was a, a devastating moment, um, not only for Vegas, but for all of America and Americans, period. Um, because it shows that this is what can happen literally in our own backyard. And the saddest part is that it's not the first time, it's not the last time. And each and every time, um, we get so devastated and so scared and so nervous and so, oh, what can we do? Um, it's more like, you know, when can we do? When can we do what it is that's needed to do? And that is changing legislation. That is what that is. But it's more about how do we do that and how do we go about presenting that to folk so that it makes sense. Being able to put this in front of people and say, you know what, at a, at, at a country, at a place where they were playing country music and various types of gen different genres of music, um, this happened. This took place. You know, and so it's not just a black thing. It's not just a person of color thing. This is a thing that happens, period, in anyone's own backyard. I think... You know, I spent two years living in Seattle and I'm from here in Texas where we're like, we don't recycle. We don't believe in like anything with the environment for the most part. And one of the things that really sunk into me during my time there, it was clear that this idea of the environment, right? Like going and visiting their state capital and there were no metal detectors. And I walked in and I felt like I did something wrong. Like, you know, when you accidentally carry something out of the store and it's like, oh, I got to take this back. Like, that's what it felt like. And I had to, it sunk in that this is generational, right? That our march toward justice is not one step. It's not, we must pass legislation and that's it. Instead, it's more like a five mile trek. And all we have to do while we are here on this earth is take our 10 steps. And if we just take our 10 steps, we'll be closer toward that five that five mile goal. And I think a lot of times where we fail as a society is we expect the one quick fix. We expect we put all our eggs in this basket to pass this legislation as if this and this alone has been the problem all along. And, and it's not. It's passed down from generation to generation to generation. There's an old, I don't know if it's an African proverb, but I'm going to say that it's one that says the best time to have planted a tree was what, seven years ago or something like that, they say. The second best time is today, if that makes any sense. So I think, you know, we're not going to figure it out overnight. Um, we should be fired up about it, but I'm more interested in the sustained force. Like when all this shit, when we're talking about Beyonce's fourth baby next week or, or next year or next week, like having it to remain consistent and, and consistently working on it. So. Okay. Um, I guess, yeah, when you were speaking, I was reminded by the song Hallelujah and the lyric is love is not a victory march is a cold and broken hallelujah. It's a long road ahead of us, and we're, we have a lot of policy changes. Um, as we close out this episode, I'm sure everybody was like, I thought this would be funnier, but you know what? It's not a funny day. And um, But we want to thank you so much for joining us today, and we are going to end this with a moment of silence, if you'll please join us. Thank you for joining us here at 610, and uh, goodbye, everyone. Have a good week.
Did y'all see the White House uh, a press briefing today? I watch it religiously every day. Like, it's like, yeah. it's my show. Let's, yes. Like SNL. Um, it is. It is. It, it, it literally, like, like every day I have to, I have to, I have to watch it. And it was interesting. I saw a little bit of humanity from Sarah Huckabee Sanders today. And it wasn't like faked. I don't believe you. No. As she was reading, as she was reading the statement, she like choked up. And it was like, you know, there was a moment where like, as she was reading it, she just, yeah. I was like, wow. Like. So, yeah. I don't know. Do you think she'll maintain that? No. No. <laughs> I would just, just to say, you, no, know, no, no. You, you know, some things you can compare to when you're walking down the street and you see the ugliest fucking dog and you're like, oh! Right, And then right. it's like, okay, you know, like, no, you're not coming. Is this right. Trump's 9-11? No. Uh, no. I don't no. think so. Do you think we'll, he'll ever deal with an experience like that? I think mm. Trump's 9-11 is Trump himself. Oh, that's true. Like a part of me, like like so many people, are like oh, we wish he goes. But my biggest fear is for him to get impeached or for him to get murdered. Like because it's like we have next. Yeah. Like you know, like no offense, but it's like is incompetent more dangerous than sinister. <laughs> I, I think well, here's what's interesting, and, and not only do I like listen to like Martin Luther King, you know, speeches from back in the day on YouTube. Every now and then, I like to go on like one of those YouTube rabbit holes where I'll watch. News as it was reported, meaning in the middle of the Clinton impeachment, like after the House impeached him. But like, you know, it was like, what could happen to hear what the pundits had to say? And if you really go back and watch what was going on during Nixon's shit, it it, what like people didn't know that it was going to happen he was treating it you know kind of like whatever he fired it's the weirdest moment one of the weirdest moments in american history the president quit cried and got in a helicopter and flew away in less than 15 minutes yes Yes. it happened in 15 he showed up cried quit and literally flew away And, 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 and what, what we never get to see, like, for instance, we all know that Comey got fired, right? What we didn't know until later that he got fired right after Comey sent the FBI to, like, knock the door in and go in on Flint. America didn't know about that. So what else do we not know about that has happened? Well, you're you're right. That's they didn't know at the time that Nixon was going down. Nobody knew that. Like that's and you're right that it was a matter of 15 minutes, like an like an instant turnaround. It's the strangest video I've ever seen. It's it is, and Nixon was a strange man. But also, like when you you know when you say like, is this his 9/11? I think to myself like, what he's going to have a 90 percent approval rating, and his entire presidency is going to change. So that you know, it's talking like, about the 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 biggest moment of civilian death on his hands oh and, i and uh his reaction to it i think port puerto rico's looks like that yeah you know so far yes we are brushing puerto rico under the rug it feels like it's it already happened that we are not acknowledging what's happening in, in puerto rico nearly as much as we should they don't have any power they don't have clean water they don't have access or escape their the death count is going to be much higher than anybody has anticipated and they are a they are an american colony they don't have voting rights but they are they are uh, held in the hand of the united states so 
are we are we going to give Puerto Rico its due? Should it become a state? Do they have the they've earned the right? They've clearly voted more and more for it over the years, but it's as I understand it, it's controversial in Puerto Rico that there's there's mixed opinions about whether they want to or not. Um, I don't I'm not really well versed on that. What I can say though is that it is funny that all this like economic nationalism that they keep talking about has suddenly disappeared when we're talking about Americans that don't fit their imaginary american profile you know that again i feel like we're treating puerto rico as a colony they're not us but we own them they're kind of as disgusting as it sounds i feel like puerto rico is treated like a pet like you're not a member of the family but i guess we love you or in hard right american historian terms taxation without representation yeah absolutely absolutely and then i mean to think about the fact that this is the first time where simultaneously you've had not just hurricanes, but like on their own national disasters in three separate places at the same time. And, you know, to peek inside and to see like how far stretched the national, like the federal government is already, right? Like it's, it's wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, tough news all around, guys, but thank you so much for joining us here at 610. Uh, Darrell, um, you have a... Yes, there is a school board debate. It's Gloves Off. It's sponsored by the Forward Times, the Houston Forward Times, the oldest black published newspaper in the South, including the city, the city of Houston. We have three candidates that are going to be there. There's Gary Monroe, there's Carla Brown, and the incumbent, Wanda Adams. It is Wednesday, October the 4th at the Sunnyside Multiservice Center. Um, as we close out this episode, I'm sure everybody was like, I thought this would be funnier, but you know what? It's not a funny day. And, um, but we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And we are going to end this with a moment of silence. If you'll please join us. This is 610 News. My name is Brenda Valdivia. I'm joined today with Abhinav Kumar, Daniel Cohen, oh, Dee Waters, John Lockett, and Darrell Douglas. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us, Houston, and good night. <laughs> 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 you know what you should start it off like It's like. Mockingbird Network.